you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for tuning in. We've got an amazing gentleman and mine, multi-book author on the show. He is going to blow your mind, change your life. He's going to make you more intelligent. And, uh, and you know, we all know if you're smarter, you're sexier. So he's going to make you hot like George Clooney or like, uh, like uh, I don't know, Beyonce. Pick your, you know, whatever your flavor is. He's he's gonna he's gonna he's delivering the hotness today. That's basically what I'm selling. And the lawyer says uh, I just pinged in my ear. I can't do that anymore. So, anyways, <laughs> there's no guarantees in life. That's the way it works. So we're gonna be talking about his amazing book. We're gonna talk about stoicism and Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Did I say that right? Uh, and we're talking about him and everything else. But in the meantime, you know, we're pumping out 1,400 episodes. There's already like, uh, what, 500 episodes this year? Or no, we're going for 500. There's 100 and almost 200 episodes that are up for this year alone. Two to three episodes a day. Please go watch all those videos and share them with your family and friends because sharing is caring. Go to youtube.com for it says Chris Foss, goodreads.com for it says Chris Foss, linkedin.com for it says Chris Foss, and YouTube and TikTok as well. Uh, oh, by the way, we just booked uh, CNN's Jake Tapper on the show. So he's going to join the illustrious lineup of CNN people we've had on the show. He should be on the show, uh, I think, later next month. So we've got that. So watch for that show to come out. Uh, today, he is an amazing multi-book author. Uh, he's put out several books on, uh, you know, just being a better person and, and getting to know yourself better, I suppose. I'm, I'm going to let him speak for himself on what he does. But he has written the latest book that just came out June 13th. 2023 lessons from an american stoic how emerson can change your life mark matusik is on the show with us today he'll be talking about his amazing works he's award-winning author of eight books sex death enlightenment sounds like my weekends in vegas uh a true story uh the boy he left behind uh when you're falling dive Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life. That also sounds like my uh, Friday Nights in Vegas. Uh, dialogues with a Modern Mystic. Ethical Wisdom for Friends. If you can get friends, I don't have any friends. Uh, Mother of the Unseen World and Writing to Awaken a Journey of Truth, Transformation, and Self-Discovery. There's a lot of self-discovery going on here. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. How are you? I'm really well. Th Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent. It's an honor to have you, sir, and so many amazing books. Let's do some self-discovery. Give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Sure. It's markmatusek.com, M-A-T-O-U-S-E-K. There you go. And so you've written eight books. What prompted you to write this latest book on Ralph Alder Emerson and Stoicism? Well, I fell in love with Emerson 40 years ago when I was in college, and I've wanted to write about him ever since, but it was never quite the right time. And it just seems these days, with the country falling apart, with everyone so polarized, people forgetting what it means to bridge differences, 
everybody looking outward at social media and the external world to tell us what we believe. It felt like now was the time for Emerson, who was really the king of nonconformity, originality, self-reliance, and listening to the guidance within you. There you go. I fell in love with Emerson. We were talking about the pre-show uh, back in the 90s and stuff when I someone first handed me self-reliance, but uh, uh, Ralph sent me a note back on a text and said, I'm just not that into you. So there was that. Uh, so uh, tell us, uh, give us a 30,000 overview, <laughs> overview like like he had texting in the 1800s or whatever. Was it 1700s or 1800s he was around? 1800s. All right. Well, it's all relative after whatever. Uh, I don't know what that means. So give us an overview, a 30,000 overview of what the book's about. Nobody has really written about Emerson as a spiritual teacher. So whether you believe, whether you're religious, whether you're somebody who is an agnostic or an atheist, everyone acknowledges that there's an aspect of us that's bigger than our personality, that's connected to something more mysterious uh, in the world. And so I wanted to write a book that really got to the essence of Emerson, which really hadn't been done. You know, so many people shy away from spirituality because they associate it with religion. But it's mm. really the thing that interests me the most. You know, what is it that brings us together? What is it that enlarges us, makes us bigger than ourselves? And it really goes to the heart of human potential. Mm. Uh, and that's what Emerson was all about. And I had never, when I came across him in college, I was a depressed, disillusioned graduate student. And it was the first time I came across someone who had an image of human potential that was bigger than anything I had ever encountered before. Yeah. Uh, and so I became addicted to him. He, uh, he really did change my life because I stopped blaming the world for my problems. <laughs> and I started looking inside for answers, which is, of course, you know, where the, the true deep answers are found. There you go. And you know, I had the same kind of journey. I, I grew up in a cult, uh, and, uh, lots of brainwashing and, uh, and, and, and I had problems with it. I was always questioning stuff and, uh, being, you know, trying to find some logic and reason and square. And I lived in an environment where there was no one around me like me. And, uh, I really struggled and I had a hard time. And one day I tripped across self-reliance and I don't remember if I came across it in school or if it was a newspaper or it, I, I seem to have a vision of something of, of a newspaper type. And they quoted some of the principles from, from Ralph Waldo Emerson's uh, essay on self-reliance. And I was like, holy shit, there's people out there that think like me. I'm not, I'm not crazy after all. But, you know, my psychiatrist says something different. So uh, as we were talking about before the show, you know, I keep uh, Marcus Aurelius meditations, uh, Seneca and uh, Epictetus near the thing. And it never really occurred to me, like the light bulb never went on, that Emerson would be a great Stoic. Yeah, a lot of people don't. They think that Stoicism sort of began and ended in, in, uh, in, in the year, you know, 100 you know, BC. And that's just not, the, not true. A lot of Emerson's philosophy came from the Stoics, uh, and some of the core principles of self-reliance line up exactly with what Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus yeah. were, were saying. You yeah. know, listening to nature as your teacher, you know, understanding that how th that your thoughts create your reality. Mm -hmm. You know, recognizing that nobody can make you feel bad unless you give them the permission to do that. These are these are vintage Emerson, and of course they're the Stoic, you know, pillars of that philosophy. So I wanted to kind of re regain, you know, reconnect him with his philosophical heritage and show people that we have had this great 
spiritual teacher as Americans, this great philosopher that we're just not aware of. Yeah. Most, most people read him in high school or read him in college and then forget about him. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact is that he can help you profoundly in how you live your life and how you come to understand yourself. And, and, and believe in yourself too. I mean, self-reliance. I mean, yeah. it was my, my biggest problem is I, I, I was raised in an environment about conformity. Uh, you know, and I, I was questioning everything going, well, why does, why does this uh, one guy got to do with that guy? And, you know, how come what, and there's some other puppet dude in the sky and he's, he's got, he's got some attitude problems and behavioral issues. And, and uh, they're like, hey, shut up, just have faith. And I'm like, I, I don't want to, I got to make sense of this thing. And so, you know, then, you know, I was just the weirdo. And, and so being able to find people like George Carlin saved me. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson saved me. Uh, I didn't know about meditations at the time. I wish somebody would have thrown that book at me. Um, but uh, so in your book is, you know, I, I self is self-reliance the, the biggest, most well-known essay or work of Ralph Waldo Emerson, or is there something else I'm missing? Well, self-reliance is, is the biggie. And he also wrote a great book called Nature. Mm -hmm. uh, but what people don't understand about self-reliance is that it has nothing to do with uh, arrogance egotism, uh, stay, you know, isolationism, you know, not asking for help, machismo. That's not what self-reliance is about. And it's been co-opted yeah. to be that way by a lot of people, particularly on the right, mm -hmm. who have said, you know, used it as an argument against helping, you know, helping the poor and, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. But self-reliance is not about that. It's about understanding interdependence. It's about tapping into the thing that's larger than we are. And really understanding that, as Emerson said, uh, there's nothing so weak as an egotist. You know, if, if we're completely connected to our ego in terms of the personality, the oh. image we're trying to create in the world, uh, we never touch into our own deep strength. And there's always going to be this fragmentation and separation and polarization between us and other people. So self-reliance is really a bridge to mm -hmm. understanding that we're all subject to the human condition mm -hmm. and that there are ways of living with that that can optimize it and that can help us, you know, help us be deeper and more productive, effective people in the world. There you go. So in your, in your pitch, in your, in your proposal, in your, in your research of Ralph Walder Emerson uh, and, and presenting him as a kind of a, how we should redesign our thinking that he is a stoic. Uh, how do you present that? Do you, do you, do you go through a lot of his texts and, and, and pull out stuff and put it in your book uh, and, and as a reference to say, you know, here are the different points of, of where uh, uh, he stood out on these things? Or, or how do you present that or sell that in the book? What I did was went through all of his work, his speeches mm -hmm. particularly, as well as the major essays, and I drew 12 essential lessons mm -hmm. that have helped me over the last 40 years uh, in terms of my own neuroses and anxieties and difficulties. And so I took these 12 lessons as kind of signposts on the way. And they don't, they're not linear. You know, you don't have to go from one to the next. Uh, but they together create a kind of a roadmap for mm -hmm. self-knowledge uh, mm -hmm. and cutting through so much of the noise of the mind. You know, mm -hmm. we don't live in reality. We live in our ideas about reality. Yeah, that's Emerson, what all my exes tell me. I don't live in reality. Yeah. <laughs> so Emerson is always talking about the angle of vision. You have to question your angle of vision. If you don't mm -hmm. understand that your perspective creates your world, mm -hmm. then you have no idea who you are uh, or how deluded you are. Yeah.
And according to my exes, I'm quite deluded. So uh, my my psychiatrist says I need a frontal lobotomy. Um, but yeah, there were so many great things in uh, in self reliance and Emerson that just resonated with me. You know, I I grew up kind of uh, as as the band Rush would call it, a Tom Sawyer, and I was a rebel. And and uh, I remember there's a there's a line somewhere in in self uh, in self reliance that says the boy. The boy, uh, the nonchalantness of boys, if you remember that, the nonchalance. Yes. The boys who are sure of a dinner would disdain as much of a Lord to do or say ought to reconcile one is the healthy attitude of human nature. And uh, and then he goes on to, from there. But that, that's one of my favorite phrases because it reminds me to think young, to be yeah. young, and stay yeah. young, which my exes complain about as well. Yeah. So yeah, he, he was all he was all about that because nonconformity, as you said earlier, was central mm -hmm. to to his teaching. You know, he said imitation is suicide. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're if you're copying someone else's idea of what courage or happiness looks like, you're living somebody else's life. Yeah. Uh, and so we have to when he talks about the, the nonchalance of boys, he's talking about really listening to what's natural to you mm -hmm. and not following the crowd. You know, Emerson mm -hmm. always said society is not your friend. Yeah. And I think that's a lesson a lot of people would do well <laughs> to remember, particularly when you're swept up in social media. You yeah. realize that social media is a is a is a, uh, a manipulation tool yeah. uh, for for the majority. And and when you understand it that way, you can be a little more careful about what you take in. Wait, you mean uh, all those people are paying uh, you know hundred bucks down in L.A. to sit in a fake staged <laughs> private jet? That's not real. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. It's wow. hard to believe. Social media is fake. This just in, folks. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website you can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com over there you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements if you'd like to hire me uh training courses that we offer and coaching for leadership management entrepreneurism uh podcasting corporate stuff uh with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a ceo and be sure to check out chris Voss leadership institute.com now back to the show i and, and you're right uh, it's 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 true uh one of my other favorite things you you kind of talked about your reality and stuff one of my other favorite quotes to him and i i won't this is not a quote so don't don't send me letters but it, it's something about uh when, when you travel you know to get away from yourself there you still are something to that effect you could probably yeah. quote it better than i can yeah, yeah. He talks about travel being a fool's paradise. <laughs> it's, like, it's like John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You Go, There You Are. There you are, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I, and so I'm adding this to my stoicism list of books that I keep to the right of my, that's in my line of eyesight that sits by my thing. In fact, uh, here, we'll, we'll show people uh, uh, something that's kind of interesting. One of my paradigms for my life is thinking out of the box. And somewhere... Uh, decades ago, I got this little uh, like guy who thinks out of the box. And so I've got Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, um, and Seneca, and some other books that sit right here on the thing. And now I've added uh, this, and I'll be adding your book as soon as we right. get in the mail here. Um, so I, I think this is great. Uh, and, and what, you know, it just like as soon as I saw your book, it just the light went on in my head. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. 
People need this stuff now. They really do. do. And the reason stoicism is so popular is that it, it, it flourishes. It thrives in the worst times. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the worst of times, stoicism is at its best because you can't argue with it. You yeah. can't argue with the idea that your thoughts create your reality or that loving the learning to love the life you have is wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't argue with the idea that mortality is a great teacher and that if you don't remember your own mortality, it's going to compromise the quality uh, of your of your life. So it, the great thing about Emerson in, at this particular moment is that we need something that is inarguable, something mm-hmm. that is common sense, that's universal. It cuts across, you know, political, racial, gender ideological differences and it goes to the heart of the struggle that a lot of us feel which is how do we make sense of this insane moment that we're living in mm-hmm. and that that's something that he has a lot to say about because of course he lived through the most violent time of in the country's history you know around abolition and and the civil war so he yeah. was he knew a lot about polarizing times yeah. and so that's why I, that's why he his voice can be so helpful now there you go. And what's interesting is you lived through an even tougher time, man. He didn't have iPhones, electricity either. So there's that. Can you imagine <laughs> that? <laughs> yeah, but that's probably why he wrote so well. He wasn't busy on social media, you know, tweeting out, I don't know, whatever he was having for lunch. And so. it also helped. It also helped. He was an extreme introvert. He had oh. social, he had social anxiety. He had a mm-hmm. lot of trouble connecting with people. He was very, very insecure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that endeared me to him is mm-hmm. that I, he's so open about his own frailty and and vulnerabilities. But it also made him a great writer because he would he could, like many great writers, stand back and observe. Yeah. And it's that outsider perspective that, that gives us the real wisdom. There you go. You've written a lot of books on uh, self-discovery, self-help and journeys. Uh, if you want to plug a few of them, plug away, but tell us a little bit about your life and, and your origin story and journey that kind of got you down this road writing about uh, this topic. I, I grew up in a house where there was a lot of trauma, pain, violence, uh, suicide, addiction, you oh. name it. It was, a, it was, it was sort of a, it was the, it was the whole Megillah. And so from a really young age, I felt deeply confused and uneasy and I kind of turned inward uh, for answers to questions that nobody was giving me or, or around me. So mm. when I was about eight or nine years old, I started writing in a journal, uh, just questioning what's going on in my mind, what, what am I thinking, what am I feeling? And that really led to my work first as a journalist and then a reporter. I worked at Interview Magazine, you know, getting people's stories out of them. And then I started writing memoir, and I eventually uh, became a teacher, helping people understand the the truth of their own narratives and how they are how they are uh, forming the the lives that they live. So from it's it's been a very organic process for me. I never planned to write about the things I write about. I never planned to be a teacher, uh, mm-hmm. but it it grew out of my nature as a seeker. I'm a seeker at at heart. Mm-hmm. If there was one word that captures my essence, it, it's being a seeker. I'm interested in, in the kinds of questions that don't usually come up at, at polite, you know, cocktail parties. You know, who are we? What are we doing here? What does life mean? You know, who am I really underneath this persona? That's the stuff that really turns me on. So I kind of went from pop journalism uh, and interviewing, you know, rock stars uh, to doing this kind of work because life got very serious as it does for all of us. Yeah. And I had to, I was really compelled to ask, to f- figure out what 
this life means, if anything, and who I am. So Emerson lines right up with with that, you know, that uh, search for me. And and you inspired me so much. Thank you. I this book has been hiding in a storage unit for the longest time, and I literally went after booking you on the show. I'm like, I I I've got to go dig up this book, and I, I dug up the essays. Uh, and found it, and I was just re- I was just so overjoyed to see all my notes and my highlights still in it. Um, there's uh, some other interesting books that you, I think really struck me um, that you have the the boy he left behind, a man's search for his lost father. Is that a story of uh, from your life? Yeah, it is. My dad left when I was four years old, uh, and I never saw him again. Wow! And I went through my whole life telling myself it didn't matter, and who needs him? And he he was kind of persona non grata in our house. Mm-hmm. So I bought the family line that I didn't mind not having a dad. And then I hit my late thirties, and like a lot of men in their late thirties, you start wanting to reconnect with your father, whether he's alive or dead. You you realize that. You, you've become him in a yeah. certain way and you want more than you want to know more about him. Uh, and so on a dare, I hired a detective in my late thirties to look for my dad. And that book is about wow. looking for him, uh, the process of it, really looking at what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. I grew up in a house with, I had three sisters and I was raised by my mom. And, and so I there was some confusion about what is real masculinity like, you know, mm-hmm. what is all, what does it mean to, to be a healthy loving, generous, open, real man. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so the book became as much a search for that part of myself as it was for my physical, biological father. Yeah. And stoicism, a lot of stoicism is rooted in masculinity. Masculinity, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I'm gonna I'm just gonna say my bit on it. But it you know, it's logic and reason and it's about controlling our emotions, not in a way of like hiding them, but processing them and going, well, how do I how am I feeling right now? Well, yeah. is this productive for me or not? Uh, and I can logically and reasonably go, there's a better way to approach this. And so Emerson and, and other Stoics, you know, they had a way like, you know, if you're feeling this, you know, here's here's how you approach it. And we have the ability to put them down. We, we can process through our logic and reason. And, and I know uh, a lot of children that grow up without a father, that's one of the things that they miss is having that logic and reason, that masculine frame in their life that teaches them not only very hard life lessons because fathers teach you life isn't fair. They, they get you really ready for the, for the, for the knocks and, and, and bounces of life. Moms are great for coddling you and hugging you and, you know, putting a bandaid on your thing and, and telling you it's all, you know, wiping your tears and telling you it's going to be fine. But dad kicks your and the ass and goes, get ready for life. Cause there's more of it coming. And I, I'm going to give you the tough love. You know, he's going to, he's going to prepare you for that. Um, and so, yeah, that what what a journey to go through all that, um, and and then do the search. So people should pick up that book. You had another book that I'm always interested in. Anything that deals with ethics, and you, so you had a book called Ethical Wisdom. I'm probably going to be reading as well. Uh, do you want to give me a plug in for that? To, to uh, uh, I'm I'm curious about that book. Yeah, I was interested in what it is that makes us good. You know, how mm-hmm. much of human nature is good? How much of it is evil? You know, mm. what's the difference between those two things? You know, where's the line between good and evil in human nature? So that was the question that started me on that search. So I did a lot of research into into evolutionary biology and anthropology and philosophy and uh, kind of it's it's a it's a guided tour through human evolution 
the evolution of human uh, goodness the, mm -hmm. and, and virtue. And Wait, what, there's good people in the world? <laughs> and so understanding, you know, understanding that evil, is, what we call evil is ignorance. It's not oh. because of some original sin in us. Oh. That's, really, that's the takeaway from, from that book is we've, we've bought into this idea of being, of being um, evil simply because we're born into human bodies. Mm -hmm. uh, when in fact, if you take a Buddhist approach to it, we, our essential nature is good. Uh, oh. There's compassion and cooperation. You know, mm -hmm. The vast majority of people are helpful and, and mm -hmm. loving most of the time. But we don't hear about that because it doesn't make the news. Yeah. So I wanted to really give, this is my argument for virtue uh, and, the, and the possibility of, of, you know, of, of being better than the, the lowest common denominator, which is another, another message I think people need to hear these days. Can we mail that to politicians? No. I'm telling you, there's so much pessimism. I don't know about you. I'm so sick of the yeah. doomsday yeah. pessimism that's going around. People yeah. are just falling into a, a, a rut. And the problem is the more of that, the deeper you get in that rut, the worse things get because there's self-fulfilling prophecy. But mm. pessimism really is a failure of the imagination. Yeah. And this, that's what this Emerson book does as well as looks at what is optimism really? What does optimism mean? Because Emerson was a great optimist, but he was mm -hmm. completely clear-eyed about human nature. Yeah. He understood that there were you know, plenty of assholes in the world, but he was an optimist because he had a, an essentially spiritual way of seeing, which means that no matter what's going on, something else is also true, uh, and that there's always a potential for change. Mm -hmm. If you believe in the potential for change, that really that's what drives uh, authentic optimism. And, and, and you mentioned something in there that I think is really important. The, the, the bringing back self-reliance, if you really study the history of what we've become, because I remember, you know, you and I grew up probably in the same sort of age um, where we didn't have to have signs on plastic bags saying, don't let the child play with the plastic bags. Right. We didn't have to have signs on bridges that said, don't jump off the bridge, you'll die. You know, we didn't have to have all these stupid safe space yeah. crap. Yeah. And, um, and, and suddenly we did. And I remember as a young child going, are the lawyers destroying the world? Do we, do we have to, we, we have to put a warning label on everything that's obvious. I mean, I mean, it used to be, we just let Darwinism work that stuff out. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was the great filter if you would. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and we, we kind of have evolved over the past three generations into what I see as a huge victim competition, competition society yeah. where there's no self-accountability. Yeah. Everyone's competing to be the biggest victim, you know, yeah. and it, it, it's funny. You'll see people fight over it. You know, like I remember one time, yeah, uh, yeah. I think Oprah Winfrey got in trouble because she was on the, on the view and she was trying to correlate that somehow you know, African-American people had it harder than the Jewish people in the Holocaust, and she got in trouble with that. And and you're like, I can see what you're doing. You're doing victimhood competition. You're trying to say, I'm a bigger victim than this person. Yeah. And you see that a lot in social media and news. In fact, I'm amazed at how many stories I read now where they always lead with, I'm a victim. I was a, I was a victim of this. You know, I looked at the sun, and now I'm blind. And you're like, well, come on, man. And so I think that's what's really important about your book and re-diving uh, into Emerson is teaching it about self-reliance, you know, yeah. self-accountability. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is a huge point because you can be victimized without becoming a victim. Mm-hmm. And people don't get that. You know, bad things can happen to you. I, for example, I was certainly victimized when I was a little boy in certain ways. That didn't mean that that had to become my permanent identity. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who've been victimized or experienced pain think you're trying to take their experience away from them. Yes. You know, when, when you say you're not a victim. In fact, what you're doing is giving them back uh, their own their power mm-hmm. and realizing that you have, as the Stoics would tell you, as Emerson said, you have uh, some say over how things impact you and how you, how you carry them throughout your life. Mm-hmm. One of the Stoic radical insights was that we have a choice over, over how we hold our past. Mm-hmm. That's enormous because man, most people feel like we're their victims of circumstance. What happened? They're stuck with it, and that their interpretation of it is is irrelevant. Yeah. And the fact is, we actually do have some control. Or we have a lot of control over how we hold our past. And when you get that, you don't have to be a victim uh, in that kind of uh, passive. A cliche "woe is me" kind of way. Also, self pity is the is the self pity is the is the is the is disastrous yeah. for for self reliance, for self belief, for empowerment, for you know having a, having anything any love for the world. Self pity yeah. conspires against all of that. Yeah, and so I, I'm glad you brought this to the forefront because this is some values we need to return to. We need to return to a merit-based society where people have self-reliance, where people uh, are not playing these self-victimization games. You know, there's people that do have real trauma, and just because they you didn't get the half and half in your Starbucks macchiato at the drive-through today, that mm. it's not a trauma crisis. Like right. you're you're not on the level of you know somebody who's uh, experienced some real heady trauma in their life, you know, and the, you see these people and social media has just become this narcissistic yeah. sort of play. And you're just, you know, I remember one time I was watching, uh, I went to a concert with Tori Amos and she said, you know, I, was, I went through a period of my life where I was always playing the victim and, and I was always complaining to all my friends about, you know, whatever I was complaining about. And she says, uh, one of my friends just came to me one day and she says, get off the cross. We need the wood. And she goes, what do you mean? And she goes, you've crawled up on this cross and nailed yourself to it. And we've just been hearing you crucify yourself over and over. But you know what? We need the wood now. So can you just get off the cross and let's move on? And so I love that line. Get off the cross. We need the wood. Uh, One other book that I wanted to plug on yours. uh, I just love the title of it. When you're falling, dive. Mm. Lessons in the Art of Living. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I I just like the paradigm of it. I I don't know what it means. I don't know if you want to give a plug on it. Well, it has everything to do with what we were just talking about. Is mm-hmm. that when you're falling, when life delivers you some blow, when there's some loss, when you have a choice of how you how you um, lean into that or or optimize it or make it much worse. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to people who have been through the worst things that you could go through, who have nonetheless flourished and thrived. So what is this common denominator between somebody who goes through the Holocaust or cancer or losing a child to disease or whatever it happens to be? What, is the, what are the qualities that help us prevail? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the major qualities is the willingness to change. 
Oh. The willingness to surrender in the spiritual sense, not resign yourself, but surrender in the sense of understanding there are, there are things you can control, many things beyond your your scope of, of, of control. And knowing that difference is huge. Yeah. Otherwise, you're fighting the river. You're, you're, you're trying to, you know, you're arguing with reality. You know, there are a million cliches, <laughs> but they're all disempowering. They all, particularly in moments when your back's against the wall, they are not your friend. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to understand that you uh, you can change if you're trying to go back to the way things were in the past. You're 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 dead. Yeah. Uh, as a guy, one guy said to me, he said, you, "You're going to go through the fire. If you go through the fire, you'll come out gold on the other side. If you don't, you're just going to be cinders." But you have to kind of keep going through yeah. the the challenge and mm-hmm. let it let it affect you. Let it change you. Let it forge you. Yeah. Let it forge you. So many people don't let it forge them because they're too busy arguing with why did this happen to me? And there that's, you why go. Self, that's why self-pity is the enemy of transformation. Yep. Hey, I love it. Uh, and it's so important in today's world. I mean, you see the participation generation trophy. Uh, I see these, the, the rise of these incels, young men who are really struggling right now. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. But a lot of it is, is they're, they're lost in emotional and, and emotions and, you know, this whole trauma society that we've built of, of, yeah. you know, the, and, and, you know, if you don't get the half and half in your Starbucks macchiato, Hey, here's the news flash. You're going to live. You're going to live. <laughs> you're you're going to make it today. You're going you know, to live. You're going to live. You know, so I, I started this interesting thing. I'll, I'll run it by you since you've studied stoicism. So about three weeks ago, I, you know, I've been trying to get my vitamin D up and my mat, my testosterone up because I'm old and I don't want to start having to uh, start taking the shots until I don't have to. Because once you start it, you gotta you gotta do it. And so, uh, a lot of people were like, "You go sit in the sun in the morning and you soak up the vitamin D and also start your circadian rhythm." Mm-hmm. And so you got that going on. And uh, I used to have my coffee and then I used to have my two dogs. Those are my children. So I love spending time with them in the morning, but I never spend any time with them. And usually when I wake up, you know, just right to the computer, all the world just kind of runs me over with all of its fires and whatever. And so I started this new thing um, about establishing frame in the morning. So what I do is I get up and I get my coffee and I grab one of the three, four books. Yours will be added to it uh, when it comes in and uh on stoicism and i got my highlighter and the first thing i do is i make my coffee give the dogs some treats and then we go out and play in the backyard and they're husky so they love dad being out in the yard and they love to play i take photos of them and then i sit in the sun and i highlight sometimes random things in the books and i just open to a page and and work on it and i spend about 15 20 minutes out there doing that and i establish what i'm calling my frame yeah where I'm going, this is my frame. I'm not, the world is not coming at me. Right. And about the only message I check for is my mom to make sure she's okay. If she's healthy, you know, if she has, yeah. she's 80. So I want to make sure that there's no emergency she has, which she usually doesn't. And, but, but the rest of the world waits. Uh, the emails wait, the text messages wait, all that good stuff. And so I sit out there, I do the sun thing, and then I come in and I actually sit down at my desk. And as I boot up the computers, the first thing I do before I get going on anything is I play piano music for about 15 music, 15 minutes. 
So mm. it's usually something calming, like George Winston's solo mm. piano. You know, play mm. whatever you like. Some people's like Baroque or something, or you know, play Metallica if that's your thing. That's my mm. thing too, but not in the morning. And and what I do is I establish this frame, this command center at my desk. Yeah. And then I'll yeah. start going to emails. And so it, it becomes this frame of like the world comes to me. I yeah. do not run to it. It does yeah. not drag me around the room. Yeah. And I've been really loving that. I don't know what you think about that. Well, that's mindfulness 101. I think it sounds mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. What, you're, what you're doing is, psychologists call it the internal locus of control. You're, oh. claiming, you're, you're claiming your internal locus of control instead of looking at the outside world and saying, what do I think today? How am I going to see today? What do I believe? Oh. And so you're really get, you're, you're, you're adjusting your angle of vision, your, you know, your frame, and then determining how things are going to impact you. How, what are you going to let in? At mm -hmm. what rate are you going to let it in? You're exercising choice. And that's another huge thing, Chris, is people don't realize wow. we have the power of choice. Yeah. Uh, Victor Frankl, the great author of the Holocaust, said it's the last of the human freedoms is our mm -hmm. ability to choose how we respond to circumstances. So you're claiming your freedom in the morning. You're saying, I do not have to be a victim of this world. Uh, I am going to uh, set my parameters mm -hmm. uh, and adjust my own expectations and then do it my way. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's having, I'm sure it's having strong it's, effect for you. It's been really amazing for, yeah. for 15 minutes and just be, yeah. just be able to sit at my desk and set up a frame of command you know, yeah. uh, and, 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 but I didn't even know there was a topic for this. So you've, you've, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this for a long time on social media and your book, locus of control of your life. I love yeah, this the inter internal locus of control, as opposed to an external locus of control, yeah. which is how, how most of us live. Yeah. And it's, you know, social media and the phones, we didn't used to be this way. You know, we, in the old days when we had just the rotary dial things, you know, we didn't read, you know, maybe you watch the news or turn on the TV, but even then, you know, you had to catch Walter Cronkite at 10 o'clock or whatever, but you know, we didn't have this, but now you just, you wake up, your phone's screaming at you, you're ringing, you got 50 text messages from someone who's on fire or thinks they're on fire because they didn't get their uh, half and half in their macchiato at Starbucks today. So there right. you go. I love this stuff. And so uh, I've learned so much, Mark, and I'm sure we'll learn a whole lot more from your book. Anything more you want to tease out of the book before we go? It's been great talking to you. Just the fact that we live with like the tail is wagging the dog, which is what you're saying. <laughs> I like that. And Emerson helps you take back your tail and, and say, look, I don't have to be the, I don't have to be at the effect of everything in the outside world. I can enjoy it. I can not enjoy it. But I have an I have my own inner life, and that inner life is mine, mm. and that's what self reliance is really about. There you go. And you know what's interesting is I've kind of started when I feel I've lost frame, when I feel I'm getting buggered and drugging around, uh, drugged around. Uh, dr yeah, okay. Uh, then I will I will get up from my desk and I'll go make a coffee or I'll go do something and mm. reestablish frame. And it's like frame's really becoming a key word for me setting yeah. a frame and establishing it. But I think it's like what you talk about, the locust of control of your life. And so uh, yeah. this will be great. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you on, Mark, and very insightful. People should pick up your other books as well. I'll be reading them as well. Thanks, Chris. It's really great to talk to you. There you go. Thank you. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs. Sure. It's markmatusek.com, uh, M-A-T-O-U-S-E-K. Uh, and people are, it would be great to connect. 
There you go. Lessons from an American Stoic. How Emerson can change your life, I guarantee you will. He had an immense uh, impact on my life, changed my life for the better. Also made me realize that I wasn't a madman alone in the wilderness. If it hadn't been for him and and uh, George Carlin and and a few other people, I, I would have been completely lost. And uh, I think the world needs to return to self-reliance self accountability and uh and less emotion more logic and reason uh it's out june 13th 2023 you can order wherever fine books are sold thanks to my audience for tuning in go to goodreads.com for chess chris foss youtube.com for chess chris foss linkedin.com for chess chris foss and uh we're trying to get cool on tiktok go help us out over there thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time that's